Welcome to the Step Up Podcast. I am Stephanie, and today on the show, I welcome my friend, Vanessa Zelmer. Welcome, Vanessa, to the Step Up Podcast. Thank you, Stephanie. So happy to be here, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time, so I'm super excited to get to talk with you today. Me too. You are fantastic to talk to. It's such a joy, and I wanted to discuss with you... (laughs) Our backgrounds growing up in Christian fundamentalism and how that affected us. Because on, so on the podcast, I've had a variety of people on and I've mentioned certain things about my background and I'll use certain terms and I'm like, I just assume people know what it means. Then I realize, wait, not everyone grew up like I grew up. And then I was going to do a whole episode, just me talking, explaining my background, but I'm still trying to figure it out because as I learn more and unlearn, I'm like, oh, that's what that meant or that's where that came from. So you and I have been talking, we met on a Facebook group and we were talking about a lot of the similarities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, th- I thought it would be kind of easier if we did a conversation about that. So just for the audience, are you, can you share a little bit about your background growing up in the church and like what kind of church? Yeah, of course. Um, I grew up in, um, so first of all, I know that uh, we have a little bit of a difference here. I'm from the United States and currently live here in um, Little Rock, Arkansas, which is uh, pretty much, you know, I wouldn't say the capital of the Bible Belt of Southern states, (laughs) but uh, pretty dang near close. And uh, so I am in a very conservative state. A lot of um, <clears throat> fundamental Christianity is not only you know still in existence, but very popular here. And uh, you know, my specific sect. I grew up in a um, Pentecostal church, and uh, my father was a pastor. My grandfather was as well, and his father, my great granddad before him, was also pastor. And he actually built this church. So um, this has been in our family not only as just a religious belief or uh, just something kind of a social gathering, but actually a physical brick and mortar. um, I don't know, business, if you will, you know, (laughs) that sort of thing for quite some time. So I kind of just say that this is very um, heart and soul of our family and their lives in general. It, It does, it goes just beyond that fundamental faith. It literally, our family founded this church and has carried it through multiple generations. So, uh, so yeah, uh, the Pentecostal faith is a little bit more strict than what I would say, kind of a traditional Baptist view, uh, not as progressive, definitely, um, you know, we'll talk about this later. I know very, very patriarchal, uh, very much a God's predetermined plan, you know, that sort of thing. And I grew up uh, going to public school with uh, the denim skirts. Luckily, I was able to cut my hair, thankfully. But uh, many um, kind of different churches in our area that are a little bit more strict were not kind of able to do those things. They had hair past their waist, very much a your hair is your glory as a woman. Mm -hmm. you know, scripturally and uh, very, very conservative, modest upbringing in that sense. So uh, to say that I am very different now is very much an understatement. So (laughs) so, yes, as they develop their own life, it's different. (laughs) You were allowed to wear denim skirts? Denim skirts being 
honestly, it was anything long, anything long that would go pretty much past the knee, not above the knee, like past right. the knee. And um, denim was probably the reason I remember it most. Like I, I'm 33. So I was born in 89 and uh, denim skirts were more easily accessible than other forms of skirts at that point in time, because then you have, you know, in the nineties, it was all pants or short kind of skirt, cute dresses, that sort of thing. So if I wanted something kind of casual that would go with just about any top, it would be a denim skirt, occasionally khaki, maybe a little bit of army green if I lucked out, but very much a denim skirt situation. So Okay. Cause I grew up in the Christian school and it was a Baptist Christian school and we had to wear skirts, but only at school, like at home, we were allowed to wear pants at church. You still wore skirts, but it wasn't like a half to, it was just like you wear your Sunday best and it's skirts. But at the Baptist right. school, it had, it, we could not wear denim. We were not allowed. And the boys couldn't wear jeans. It had to be like khakis or dress pants. Very, very little bit. It was a little bit more formal for you guys then. Okay. Yeah. And guys had to wear collared shirts. Interesting. Button down and everything. Or was it just collared? I think button down too. I I, I never really remember paying much attention to what the boys had to wear because we were always concerned. I think we had to wear pantyhose too. Oh my gosh. In addition to? Like it was, you know, those days. Well, at least in the winter. Because remember, no. like your mother was like, "No, your your legs are gonna be cold." That makes sense. Yeah, I I, I understand that too. I just I'm thinking, oh wow, yeah. So I did this. This was public school for me. I was, I mean, I no regulation whatsoever with public school, other than you know, like don't let your your butt crack show or like nothing too short beyond your fingertips, like normal rules within a public school setting. But for me, because my parents were so strict, it was still the long skirts or if it was a short skirt, couldn't be too short, that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, very, very much modesty being kind of the big theme carrying over from home, church and school, kind of just this all over generalized thing. So which which would have been more difficult because at least in my school we all had to wear that because it yes, was a Christian yeah. school. Whereas your it was from your family and your church tradition, and you were going to a public school, so right. you were like, "I'm the right. only one." Yeah, <laughs> and explaining that to other kids that had no idea, kind of the background where I came from, there was, I mean, it was almost impossible to try to explain that in a way that not only made sense, but in a way that they would either relate to and or care you know, because kids are pretty ruthless in public school. Like either you kind of fit this certain standard, which at the time was flare jeans, low cut Abercrombie and Fitch type t-shirt, you know, you know, kind of the drill. And obviously I can only do a certain amount of that from like the waist up. So I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in public school. So. Oh man. What is this so offensive about pants? Is it because you can see the crotch? I don't get you it. Know, I think, I think it's kind of twofold. You, you hit something earlier that I was glad that you said kind of your Sunday best idea. I, I think it's, especially for church, I think that's very relevant. Uh, you know, typically at least in a, a more traditional culture, and I'm not even talking religious wise, you know, if a female dressing up, we typically wear dresses. So whether that's a formal function or that's a business function or what have you, a lot of women, especially ones that kind of identify as more of um, a feminine role, for instance, you know, uh, would typically 
be drawn more to a dress or something like that with some high heels just to be, you know, dressy in a feminine sense. So in our church, it was very much kind of that. Also making sure that on Sundays, um, the denim skirts, that wasn't, that wasn't allowed. Like we did Sunday best, you know, that kind of Easter Sunday sort of attire that everyone else and maybe not as strict of a church would identify with. That was every Sunday. Yeah. Wednesday night's kind of negotiable. But Sunday, definitely Sunday best. Um, Wednesday night is not as holy as Sunday. Right. Wednesday night's your more kind of low-key night. We all get there at 7.30. We get out after about an hour, hour and a half. No big deal. You know, but yeah, it was still very much a, uh, I walked through the church of, or the uh, the doors of the church rather. And I, if I'm not in a skirt, I'm basically, at least according to my parents anyway, not permitted indoors. Right. So, um, so yeah, but I think, uh, just kind of the second point, there's a scripture and I'd have to look it up to give you the exact. So maybe I can follow up with you with a footnote, uh, talking about, and it's in the old Testament about how women shout not, which shows you that, uh, I, I grew up around King James version yeah. uh, where anything that pertaineth to a man, and uh, because my church took things, I guess, very literally. Yeah. That was, I don't wear pants. Men wear pants. Women don't. And Even um, at home? At home, really? I mean, like as far as pajamas or something, like something that I was going to bed in, it didn't matter. You know, I, I really could wear like shorts, pajama pants, like that sort of thing. But even when I was at home, if I was even going to you know, the neighbor's kid, like the neighbor kids down the street to ride a bike or anything like that. No, I, it was very much a skirt or in the best case scenario, a sport. Right. I remember skirts. Yeah. Yeah. Those like skirts with the attached shorts underneath. And, um, maybe if like, it was the right kind of shorts, I could get away with it, but they would have to very much be like a knee length short nothing too tight, nothing too revealing, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, other than that, yeah, it was pretty much, pretty much skirts had to, had to outwardly appear to be a woman and uh, in the church's mind and my parents' mind as well. So, so yeah, that uh, fun, fun stuff, riding bikes and uh, you know, all that good stuff was definitely something that was, (laughs) A challenge I had to overcome in that in that degree of restriction. So <laughs> I I remember, you know, sometimes we try to get away with things like, is this too short? You know, it's right here on the knee or um a skirt, like, well, if you can't see the shorts, might might be fine. And the teachers or leaders, whatever, would always say, if you have to ask if this is appropriate, it's probably then it's not, not appropriate. appropriate. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know exactly how that goes. Yes. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I, I assume then boys had to have short hair because you can't look like a woman. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, the boys in our church, while I I I mean, I would love to say, because I'm still a little bit bitter that boys went like, you know, men had it just significantly easier. There were still restrictions on that front too. You know, um, I think shorts uh, for the longest time, I can remember shorts were not allowed Mm. for the men or the boys in our church. That just, you just don't do that. And um, definitely short haircuts, 
Um, I know that my father was probably the first person in the church that actually had facial hair. Oh. And eventually it kind of became less taboo and it was as long as you kept it up and it was kind of trimmed and shaped, you know, something like that. It wasn't so bad, but I mean, my grandfather nor my great grandfather ever had facial, like shaved, completely clean shaven. That's so so funny uh, because then you have different traditions like Mennonites and Amish where they do have the beard or like the, the duck dynasty guys, the Robertsons. I know. Yeah. They would not be allowed down to like, I don't know. They're mid chest. Yeah. They just don't even, they just rock it. You know? Yeah. That's, (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Um, So what you were saying about the men had it easier. This is one thing that I started to, under, I'm starting to understand more and more over the years as I learn more about oh, feminism and women in the church and women outside the church, but also like just the the progression of female empowerment. Yes. And how I saw myself growing up because of what we were told about ourselves. And I, from my understanding, this is what I was always told. And it's not necessarily my parents because I did listen to different things like focus on the family. And mm-hmm. we, we would go to Bill Gothard conferences and, you know, whoever else, the Christian leader was out in those days who was pretty toxic, to be honest with you. Um, now I know they <laughs> no, are. Yeah, uh, I'm nodding my head. I know that no one can see <laughs> me doing that. But yes, absolutely nodding my head. Uh, um, <laughs> it was. So we were, we were literal, like six day creation, man, a woman came from man. Mm-hmm. So that means that we were a helper to man. Right. I think it was, we were not that, that was pulled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from Adam's ribs. So that, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, we're not good. Like we're just came out of man to be a certain, like a helper to man or mm-hmm. his sidekick or whatever. And then also because Eve was the one who listened to Satan in the Garden of Eden, we were the ones that started sin. So sin comes like from us and we're kind of the evil. And punished with, you know, the pangs of childbirth and what have you and all of those wonderful things. Yeah, absolutely. It's and our, and Done, our sin, yeah. our sin is wanting dominion over man, ru- wanting to rule over man, which is why feminism was so evil. Which I never understand because I don't think that was ever stated in the scripture, especially when talking about like, you know, the, the, uh, the original temptation, the original sin, right? It was just the desire for knowledge, right? Or maybe knowledge that was forbidden by God and Eve was tempted. She gave in to said temptation. And I don't think it was ever saying anything about Eve wanted to be superior to Adam, right? Like she may have drug him down with her, I guess, technically, even if he made his own decision, whatever. I thought, wasn't it after, after they sinned and then God was like, well, th- you're going to try and have dominion over. I don't know. I, I It could have been, it could have been after the fact, but it was definitely not before the fact, <laughs> no, which is okay. like, like if I would have been her in my head and that would have been like, I don't know, stuck it like on a post-it note on this apple tree, right? Like saying like, don't eat this because we know that you want to have power over men. I probably would have been like, that's not, no, that's not right. That's not what I, this just <laughs> looks kind of tasty, you know, like, but at the same time, I, I definitely, after the fact, I could see that being a thing. And I think you're right, but I don't think it says anything about why this fruit was so forbidden. 
Yeah. Or you'll be you like, know. God, my dad is super into creation. I just kind of know what I grew up with and just like, okay, I don't know. I, I don't pay much attention. That because I feel like I need to know about, I don't know that I've ever fully gone back and looked into that, but I'm curious now thinking about that. If, if it had it have been Adam and not Eve who first committed this original sin, what is, I don't know, the, um, what would they call it in a court of law? Their, uh, their charge, what would they call that? And, you know, if women were, you know, considered, um, individuals that were trying to have superiority or dominion over man, what would it be if Adam had taken the bite first? You know, right? Interesting. <laughs> he would find something else. Oh, of course, of course. About yeah. women, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but did you also have that same narrative? That like, yeah, was, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think that you know, with my great granddad, with my granddad, it was very much a. I, I don't want to say non-negotiable. But yeah, kind of. My my dad was a little bit more open to the conversation, uh, a little bit more progressive, as progressive as one can be within the Pentecostal faith, I guess. But um, it was definitely, you know, my granddad and my great grandfather. I remember it was. I mean, if it's in the book, it is that is the rule, you know. So, right. hmm. it's um, I I think that because we were, I always felt second class, mm-hmm. like we're not, it was, it, it, I, I didn't grow up super strict, uh, strict enough, but not, not as kind of intensely as, as you did. But so I could go, you know, it was like, okay, you're going to go to college, university. I went to um, a Christian school growing up and then a non like a secular high school, mm-hmm. which I was so glad for. And, um, but I was still so scared of the world because it was always, well, that's actually, I want to get into that later, but it was like an us versus them kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, Very much much a uh, different, I don't even know, I don't know if classes is the, is the right word for me to use, but definitely different groups, kind of intentionally separated groups, if that makes sense. Yes. The world versus, so everything that wasn't Christian was considered the world. And it's like us versus the world because the world wants to teach you about evolution. The secular, secular world. Yeah. yeah. They want yeah. to teach you about sex. Nope. Uh, we have to keep separate. And that's where we keep getting a greater divide as things are more progressive in the world. And then we see more and more of the mm-hmm. Christians pushing back and saying, no, we have to stay like 1950s and it's like um <clears throat> that's not really how it works but i think that's and then they say well the world is changing we're being like persecuted because we can't have it our way <laughs> sorry yeah yeah <laughs> i know which i guess that I, persecution it doesn't have to necessarily be strictly like people that are very seriously being taken advantage of and or persecuted it's just anybody that doesn't agree with you is persecuting you is what I've observed, you know, or what I've noticed. Cause I used to do the same thing. If you can't speak out, 
and say something kind of mean. It's persecution. It's persecution. And meanwhile, like now I see it like, no, that was just really condescending, self-righteous and being a bully. Right. Being a bully to others. Maybe don't bully or the freedom of speech doesn't (laughs) necessarily apply to something violent, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Oh yeah. I feel (laughs) you. But, um, Oh my word. I forgot where I was. I was talking about women. (laughs) Oh, feeling second class. Yes. And so, um, I, I always felt like, yeah, I could go to university and, you know, find a job, but it was kind of, well, if you get married though, you should have children. And if you have children, you should Mm -hmm. be a stay at home mom, because that's the best job and career you could ever have is raising your children. Right. And I used to want that. I used to like, okay, I just need a husband so I can stay home. And I'm like, I like doing housework. I like cooking. I always just wanted to take care of a man. I I was never destined to be, I must've been born in the wrong body or something. Never destined to be maternal or a maker. (laughs) But that can be anybody. I know men who like to do housework and cook. That's what I think too. I'm fully identify as absolutely female. I'm very feminine, I guess, in a certain sense too. I love makeup. I love jewelry and you know, dressing up and looking cute and all that, but like, no, I, I don't enjoy housework or, um, you know, I always say that my husband's a better mom than I am because he's very, very much a and more active in her life because he has more flexibility in career wise than I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's also kind of the more, um, I think more emotional, not necessarily even in a gender sense, but in a, and maybe we'll talk about this later or not, maybe a second follow-up part do whatever, um, a raise to think that expressing emotion is okay. And I wasn't, I was, you know, so he's very emotional with her, very in tune with her emotion. And for me, that's not natural. I have to work on it and really pay hard attention, like close attention to it. So, so you uh, were you were also taught as a female as well yes. not to be emotional. Um not necessarily or- taught not to be. I think the overall understanding was that femi- femininity women by nature were emotional. They, that's what they were. And to be anything rational thinking was either overstepping as a woman or um, just, I don't know, would be basically, you'd be gaslighted, right? If you were a rational thinker, and I'm using, you know, like quotes, like air quotes right now, that it would be something like, oh, but are you rational in what you're saying? Like, is your opinion rational? Or are there undertones of craziness or, you know, hysteria or whatever kind of like terminology that people want to use in the sense that they, you know, kind of want to corral women into this idea that because they are so emotionally rooted that men are the superior thinkers, the superior, like the judgment, you know, decision-making that sort of thing. Women don't have the power or that ability, you know, for that matter. So I think it kind of got my granddad, it probably backfired on my granddad because to me, I don't want to be that insignificant, you know, lesser than emotional being. So I always strive to be the rational thinker, mm-hmm. which, you know, now as a mother in a traditional sense, it kind of backfires. But 
my granddad always taught that the men were superior thinkers, that they had the ability to make decisions. They were the head of the household and I never wanted to be less than. Yep. So feeling things to me was a weakness and not so much now through a bunch of therapy bills I've gotten there, you know, learning that vulnerability actually is not weakness. It requires a lot of courage, but the way that I was raised, if you cry, if you, you know, have too much empathy, if you feel so like all of those feelings that one would have as what I would consider a very kind hearted person is considered weak Mm. and unable to, I guess, um, compartmentalize and be able to think rationally without an emotional influence. So, so yeah, I, I definitely think that my granddad, you know, God rest his soul was alive today and saw kind of how I took that and made, you know, my own life as a female around it. He'd probably be like, I, that's not what I was going for, Vanessa. Like, whoops. You know, like, (laughs) that's amazing because yeah, I, I was taught the same thing. But it was just kind of like the more you told me that women are emotional and irrational, and I was, I've always been a highly sensitive person. I have mm-hmm. a lot of empathy. I hurt for things and being super um, anxious and, and stressed. Yes. I cried a lot because I didn't know what it was. I just, it came out in tears and anger, right? At whatever. And you couldn't really have temper tantrums or else to get spanking. So I was just kind of like moody mm-hmm. and like, you know, and so the more I was told women are irrational and emotional, I guess, well, this is just what I am. I'm a stupid woman. This is what it is. And I can never be rational. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, um, I wanted to be, I'd see people who had like good thoughts and I was like, how do they be, how are they like that? You know, uh, it's fascinating. And so I was like, how do I be that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, that's really what we're taught is, you know, the thing about rationality, at least in, you know, more of a fundamental Christian sense, rationality, whether it's defined as such or whether it's implied as such is the absence of emotional influence, right? Like you're able to make a decision without having some sort of emotional attachment to it. I find that to be a little bit of a sociopathic thing. If you're not able to make a decision considering other people's feelings is that's kind of a problem. You know, like if I I don't know that that's kind of my take on it. And it's, it's one thing to be able to say like, you know, Am I going to do, am I going to make a right turn or a left turn? Like, sure. If you cry over that, then yeah. I mean, that's a problem whether you're female or male. Yeah. But (laughs) like, if someone tells you, you have to make this life altering decision that involves more than just yourself as an individual, and you don't at least pause to think maybe this will affect somebody else, that that's not an irrational thing or irrational thing. That's human nature. And it's, it's compassion and it's empathy. And that's what kind of, I always felt was screwed up about this idea of irrationality as the, uh, I'm sorry, rationality as the absence of emotion is that it's how can you make any decision rationally, traditionally implied, whatever, with the absence of consent or even care, concern, anything like that for another person. You know, 
you need a balance of both because yeah. we're, we're complex beings. We are emotional people. Like we have emotions. Right. We are rational. We have brains. We are complex beings. And so stop putting it in like, you're all this or you're all that. And that black or white, black like and you're white. either emotional or you're not. Like yes. it, it, it just carries through and, you know, either tones or subtones or anything throughout the entire religion, in which I was raised is, you know, you're either this or you're that. And it's not that way. I mean, even, you know, Christ and Christ's teachings, he was emotional to one extreme or the other, whether he loves people extensively or whether he's angry and flipping some tables over. Does yes. that make him an irrational person unable to teach or be like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, that's not possible. The way that we've made it is just this idea of just complete subjugation you know, of one sex over the other. And it, it's, it's ridiculous to me that we can't be an emotional being, but also have clear and rational thought. Yep. Well, and that actually there's, there's so, so many segues we could go in. Cause I want oh, to talk yeah, about, I know. I know. <laughs> um, well, the black and white thinking I'm going to get to, but what I wanted to say also was the, um, we have intuition mm-hmm. and I'm an empath. So I can feel things deeply. And I have feelings about people when I'm not comfortable with somebody. Uh, I like they're either fake or they're, they're, they're not healthy people. They're kind of right, bad right. for you. And I don't feel comfortable. And I had this feeling about some people, which actually ended up being like not healthy people. And, you know, my family's like, why didn't you tell us? And I was like, well, I wasn't supposed, you wouldn't have listened to me. I, I was an irrational female. Or in my case, I mean, I'm, I'm the same way as you said, like an empath. Absolutely. But growing up and feeling almost, I will say whether it was, uh, you know, me being this way or me kind of um, pushing my own feelings underneath and focusing on somebody else's kind of to avoid my own feelings. But I felt people, other people's feelings so much more deeply than I did my own. Mm. And I was taught that anything overly emotional is such a weakness that to be an empath, either I was not, and I was mistaken, or you better not talk about this because like, Lord knows we don't talk about anything else. Yeah. You know? And, and so thinking about myself being an empath in that way, I always really considered it even worse than being somebody that was very open with my expression of happiness, excitement, you know, rage, sadness, whatever anything is. Why would I care so much more about other people than myself? And I think that's opposite of what we're supposed to be, you know, learning, at least in the Christ-like perspective. So it, it's very, I don't want to say hypocritical. It's a strong word. It's a trigger word. But um, I, I think a lot of people need to rethink that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, and also, I don't, I don't know if you were taught this, but you can't trust yourself because we are totally depraved. We are evil beings and only God is good. So even, you know, it was like, well, I feel like I should be doing, I I feel like I should be going to the school or I should be, you know, going this path. And they're like, no, you can't trust your feelings. You are Mm -hmm. sinful. Mm -hmm. And so, which is, there's a lot. Yeah, you should think things through, but it's also every time I've trusted my gut, it's been right. 
And I'm so grateful now. I'm like, no, I trust myself to do that. But I think it comes from, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, this whole theology called Calvinism. And one Mm -hmm. of the points of Calvinism is total depravity, total depravity, 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 sinner mentality. Yeah. Like we we have no good if not we're for God. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which really messes you up because when you believe you're no good, you feel worthless and only God can give you worth. Mm -hmm. And so I remember even things like people would talk about affirmations, say, I'm an awesome person. I'm good. Couldn't do that. Um, If somebody said, Hey, you're, you're so sweet. You did, you know, and I'd have to say it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Right. You're glorifying yourself over glorifying the God given thing. Yeah. I, yeah. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, the more t- people I talk to who grew up in that, they're like, it's so harmful for us and how, and I'm like, yeah, I see it now. <laughs> and yeah. it kept me from, it kept, it keeps people from growing like in personal development because you kind of have to believe in yourself and you're not allowed to believe in yourself. And that's so mm-hmm. harmful because then, you know, then we feel like worthless and then we have mental health problems, which also sure. we're told, you know, go to the Bible, pray it away. And you're not told to get actual help. Oh my word. There's just, so Oh yeah. Much. Yeah. Oh my God. Like that topic in and of itself is that's the one that I deal with probably daily. But I mean, I think my biggest thing with that was absolutely, I mean, maybe I wasn't as strictly kind of indoctrinated with this kind of Calvinist ideology, but I definitely was taught to be humble and to be thankful, very thankful for the things that maybe I was able to do or had like a natural ability to do that. It was definitely a God-given talent sort of thing. But I mean, I can remember so many different occasions uh, with, you know, even school, I would, I would do well in, you know, my GPA or a standardized test or, you know, um, a band performance or anything like that. And while I was allowed to receive praise from other people, I was never allowed to give it because that would be considered bragging. And, you know, it was very confusing to me in that way, because if it was something that you were taking pride over, that was wrong. And I, and it's like, but my mom and dad can tell me I'm super smart. Like, yay, I've got this great, this daughter, she's super, super smart. And I'm going to brag on her. But like, I can't say that because it's not me. It's God. Like I'm confused where all of this ties together. It's like a triangle that doesn't really connect, you know? You just connected that for me because I never, I I know exactly what you're saying. And until you just said that, I didn't really realize the same thing, right? We, It's it's so confusing. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. And then because you're, you're confused and you're not sure of things. I remember seeking out people, seeking out compliments from people. Seek out affirmation. You can't give it to yourself. So you seek it from others. If you cannot affirm things for yourself, whether you don't know how and you're not given the tools or the skills to do so, or you're discouraged from doing so, you seek it elsewhere because as humans, all we want to know is that we're doing something right. Yeah. That, that's it. Whether it's, you know, we're eating right 
We are, you know, doing enough exercise. We know how to speak properly. Like anything. All we want to know is that we in some way, shape or form have fit a mold, fit a standard. And it's so impossible for us to figure that out if we're not allowed to, you know, explore ourselves in our own right as an individual and have autonomy over ourselves. You know, you can get it from your parents and grandparents, whatever, but I was taught that you don't, you don't talk about yourself. You don't brag about yourself. And I just thought that was so incredibly confusing that my mom and dad could, my dad could do an entire sermon about, you know, like the things that I was taught and that I developed and like, look at my daughter, she's right there in that third row, right? They're like, she's doing so great. But like, I couldn't say, yeah, mom and dad, you know, I got this full ride to college because I'm smart. It would be, oh, well, we prayed for you. Right. And you did well. <laughs> like, and I'm like, wait, right. what? Like, <laughs> yeah, at least, at least if we're going to have rules, make them consistent, you know? I I don't know about you. Did you also have this where you kind of, you could, you could give encouragement to somebody else, but more so it was, you have to tell everyone how sinful they are and how like all their flaws. So I would, I would try to be like, I, I love like now I'm free with it. Like I love encouraging people and I, I'm so much aware of how positive speaking to other people helps us. But mm-hmm. before, when I was under all this, I was like, no, I can't really give them too much. They might become prideful or whatever. They already know how great they are. I have to tell them that they're sinners or I have to tell them, well, you did this wrong. And so it was always because that was always put on me, too. Everything was like, this is what you did wrong all the time. I think. OK, so. I'm going to try to be very, very careful on how I say this, because again, this is an observation of mine from my specific, you know, demographic from my specific sect, that sort of thing. And it also doesn't necessarily apply to everyone that I knew or that I was receiving instruction from. Um, What I saw quite a bit of was in terms of what I would call the general congregation, Um, If something was accomplished that maybe was next to impossible or they did something uh, above the expectation, something that was great, uh, we definitely were permitted and encouraged kind of to compliment each other. But being an enabler or maybe like um, encouraging someone to be too prideful was definitely looked down upon. Uh, Now, I will say there was not an outright suspension of those rules, but kind of a, maybe an exception or we overlook this if it is directed toward the leadership within the church, the pastoral role, the, the reverends, the deacon, the people that were in kind of these more male dominated leadership, if they had done something exceptional, like they brought someone to Christ like you can say that outright and you can applaud them and talk about how their sermons are wonderful and they are just, you know, kind of divinely anointed, that sort of thing. And, and divinely anointed being completely different than God given a talent, right? Divinely anointed is like, you're, you're above the rest of the population in my head, you know? So it was different in the sense that I I always felt like church leadership, specifically pastors or preachers or evangelists, people like that were 
it was kind of known that they were exceptional and it was okay to say it. But the general congregation being under the guidance, under the leadership of these exceptional individuals were still kind of the more depraved sinners that you're not supposed to encourage or over-encourage maybe. Right. And that's where also, I mean, I know pastors get a lot of negative things like you didn't do that. You said this wrong in the sermon. And so I I understand, you know, and I, I always, when I started learning how much negativity they got, I would email my pastors with encouragement, but I'd always be like, is this wrong? Because am I puffing them up and, you know, making them prideful? It's such a, oh, it's so hard to know because of what you're taught. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, then we do see, and we're seeing this time and time again, because it keeps coming out. There's no accountability with certain leaders. That's and what I was hoping you were about to say. That. Yes. yes. And, and we're seeing see this with the, every time with the huge mega churches, with the Mark Driscoll, the mm-hmm. Carl Lentz, the Ravi Zacharias, the Hillsong. I could keep mm-hmm. going, but I, I don't know any more names. But every other day, I feel like like the Julie Roy's report, she's got some other pastors coming. Oh, out. my gosh. Yeah. And it's like what what I see is, you know, and going back to that kind of like member of the congregation, if you were to commit some of these same deeds you would be either excommunicated <laughs> or stripped of your leadership role. And it's like, but because they're in a leadership position and they've confessed not only to God, but they're confessing to you and they've sought forgiveness. And because God has forgiven them, then not only are we obligated to forgive, but we're also obligated to overlook and continue to trust in their judgment. And that's where I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> It just, it makes no sense to me. It's just, it just doesn't. Well, it's interesting. There was a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which was the church Mark Driscoll was a part of. And they were saying in there that if people would go like, I don't agree with this, and then they'd get kicked out. And so they could, they could bash on those people all they wanted. But if somebody were to say, what's going on? You know, did Mark, is Mark wrong? No, don't gossip about the pastor. Don't uh-huh. gossip. No, no, so it's no, gossip. No. But you can't, if you're saying anything negative against the pastor, but it's okay if it's the people that the pastor kicked out of the church because they stood, they dared mm-hmm. to stand up against him. And well, you're and right. I mean, it's, it's like they're, they're these holy men that are untouchable yeah, sometimes. It's, it's a double standard in a lot of ways. And I feel like, honestly, I feel like there's really, at least in the faith in which, you know, you and I, I feel like we share a lot of the same teachings. There's really no way around that because you think of like, you know, God's most beloved person david right oh they always use david as example like but think about it though like he goes out and he like off of his balcony is looking at some hot chick right and she's bathing out there and he's like "Mm, i want some of that but i know she's married but like okay i'm just i'm gonna go ahead and do this but instead of being accountable to her husband i'm gonna have him killed off drunkenly like get him drunk and then kill him off and it's like and then Sure, he was, I guess, punished essentially because she gave birth to a child that was, you know, like whatever. We we know that story. But of course he can keep his kingship. That's a completely different thing than a religious thing. But glorified David as one of the most godly men, you know, and, and I understand people make mistakes, but like what? you know and it's 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 just kind of it's a precedent I feel like that was set that 
even if you make the most awful of awful of awful mistakes, as long as you seek repentance as a leader, as a divinely anointed entity, you're accepted right back the way you were, no questions asked. But if you were just a subject or in this sense, a congregational member, it's not the same thing, you know? And so I don't think that's necessarily a religious thing strictly. I think that's like, like kind of a cases system, you right. know, but, um, well, and they also use precedent. David, they use David to say, well, King David saying, so, you know, you should, you should let these guys go. And half these guys don't even repent. No, or they're no. not, there's no consequence. And, um, it's like, but who is the prophet that came to, to David? Nathan? Or oh, somebody? Samuel. Was it Samuel? No. Samuel, yeah. No, I don't know. Sorry. I, I don't, don't remember. It, I don't know. One of like those dudes. That. It'll come to me, I think. And he was like, oh, this was you. You did this. And David repented and cried and stuff. So mm-hmm. like, that's different than just going, oh, no, I'm good. I'm awesome. And I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. It wasn't Samuel. Samuel was Nathan is the prophet. Okay. Yes. Cool. We could go (laughs) on and on about this, but I know you got to go soon. So I just wanted to bring up one more thing that also so hard for me to get out of the thinking, but the black and white thinking. And it wasn't until recently that somebody was saying, we don't want to dehumanize people. And that word was just like, oh, my word, that's what we've been doing. And when mm-hmm. other also people will mention, we don't want to other, we've been othering people. Yes. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. literally what we did all the time. And now mm-hmm. I can look at somebody as a human being and see them as worthy and as that, like worthy of love. And like, I can love them. And I feel so free from that. But it's that black and white thinking and othering yes. everybody that keeps us so divided. Mm-hmm. Eh, it stresses me out. <laughs> it, it, it makes me like really grit my teeth because it's as far back, even man, would you even consider just the biblical history? And I'm not even talking about what one would consider existing prior to whether someone believes in, you know, new earth creationism or evolution, whatever. It, it, it always seems to start like the other, the less than, and I say less than on purpose because the other, I don't care what it is. If you are an other, you are less than. Yeah. Otherwise there would not be an other category if there were kind of an equal, you know, idea of who people are, what they represent, their value as an individual, as a person, as a human. So, I mean, it goes as far back as, women. And then it goes into, um, you know, having more or less than another person, as far as whether it be riches, you know, like gold or like monetary value or even property. And then you have slaves, you know, you have people that speak different languages, people that are literally not the same as you or the person that's in power. And it so seriously disgusts me about human beings because this is taught. This is a taught behavior. Yes. And it's something that I feel runs very, very rampant through biblical scripture, whether that is the intent or the way that God intended it, or whether that was over translation or flawed, you know, kings like King James deciding what goes in, what goes out, whatever kind of, you know, justification argument or anything like that. It started, at least for me, 
with the Christian faith being so either you're with us or you're against us, you're us or you're them. And it's not, I I feel like that is not what the point is. Some will disagree because I know that Christ also says, you know, there's a sense of us and them with that. But I don't think that as far as that true agape love and really loving someone for being human and for having as much value as you do for existing and being created, whether that was by intelligent design or what have you, I don't I I don't think it's right. And I think that to question that starts that kind of slippery slope of questioning the whole ideology. And I I think a lot of, you know, specifically women that don't like being told, sit down or play your tambourine, you know, um, it it turns into we're being combative versus trying to figure out what's going on, trying to figure out if this is justified and or right, combative being emotional, emotional being irrational. And then it's just this vicious cycle, you know, kind of repeating itself. So. Well, it was funny. I, I interviewed um, David from the Graceful Atheist last summer, and he called. He says, "I'm sec- I'm a secular humanist." Mm-hmm. And I said to him, "That term was always said with such derision, like secular humanist. Oh man, because it's such yeah. an evil thing. And secular being. <laughs> what was it that my dad used? Secular being of the world. Yeah. Instead of <laughs> of God, you're of the world. You know, like secular music. Like I love Snoop. Oh. Right. Snoop Dogg is like that's my jam. I love it. And I remember my dad hearing nothing as far as just an opening line be like, oh, secular music. I'm not having this in my house. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, so is everything else because like it's human, like humans doing something. It, it's humanism. And then adding that secularism, I think that was something that a church has done over time, kind of othering people. Maybe it's not what we agree with. So it's secular. Yeah. So yeah, anybody I think that would, not even deviate from the faith, but question the faith, maybe have something that they want to investigate that they're not necessarily 100% bought into would be deemed secular. And honestly, I'm not offended by that term either. If you want to call me a secular humanist, then all right. Like I I dig a lot of stuff that we have here in this world. And uh, I'm not afraid to ask some questions that may make other people uncomfortable. So I remember in the nineties, like I was in high school when Nirvana was big. But I started I liking them Nirvana. in yes. 2000, 2001 when, you know, You're Right came out. They released that song. Yeah. And I was like, I love this so much. And and I also liked Eminem and stuff. And I felt so bad. I'm like, I'm backsliding. <laughs> I'm being bad. But you know what? I love it. I like it. I still like it. And so it's like, chill out. This stuff is fun to listen to. I mean, But I it was like Bill Gothard. We had to listen to anything that wasn't Christian. You had to throw out, throw out your movies, throw out your music. And I think it just kind of goes into, you know, and you and I have touched on this in so many different ways in this conversation. It's this kind of whoever the leadership is in a specific church or a faith or a denomination or whatever it is, that person, because they are divinely called and we as a congregation either believe this or, you know, are told to believe that whatever, whatever things, you know, may be. If they say this and this and this and this and this is wrong, then it is our duty as Christians 
to listen to that and to obey it, even though the person behind the pulpit is not God. Yeah. We are in, you know, kind of, we have a responsibility to God to obey a human teaching. That That's something that I have a problem with. And then we're not taught to think critically because you just, you just listen and obey. And because this yes. dude is saying it and trust so, and obey for there's no other way. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's where we get to where we are now, where we just believe anything. Right. Like you can take that in and of itself and throw it into politics. And we will have a discussion on that in several months. I'd love to do it, but uh, it's the same. It, it's the same principle. And it doesn't have to be that way. If we were willing to just relinquish control and accept people for who they are as they are, as they are made and not the rules that we assign. Yeah. So, well, Vanessa, I know you have to go. I've appreciated this. So it's been so fat, fun. Time. I know. I, 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 I can go on this time. topic. I know. I, I feel like we just kind of <laughs> got to kind of surface level grace over some topics, but, but yeah, I, I think these are definitely important topics for people to hear and, especially, especially people that, you know, as even we talked about women, but we we can talk about several different population groups in different categories, anybody that has ever felt othered or less than, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are people out there, whether they're still in the faith or whether they've left it, whether they're, you know, halfway in between that people value you as a person and it does not have to be all or nothing black or white. You yeah. are a person, you are a human and you are loved and that's the way it should be. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate you having me. I've had fun. If you want to help support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review as it helps other people to find the podcast and listen as well. There is also Financially, if you want to help support the podcast, you can check out buymeacoffee.com backslash Steffa podcast. Come follow me on the socials on Twitter at Steph underscore Ann underscore web on Instagram, Stephanie underscore Ann underscore web. And you can check out my website, www.stephanieandweb.com, where you can check out the podcast, my blog, and I also have a link on there to buy my children's book, What Should Dragon Do? The main character in the book is called Dragon, and her adventure is living with her two bear roommates. The book consists of three little stories of different circumstances, living with people, and how the tiny things can drive us crazy, and our emotions, and how we react can affect others. I appreciate you. I thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye!